Hello, I'm Tom Hauser. Time is running short for the governor and state lawmakers to reach agreement on how to conform Minnesota's tax code to the new federal tax law. Failing to reach an agreement could result in thousands of Minnesotans having their taxes go up, totaling hundreds of millions of dollars. The House will come to order. Since the day the legislative session started in February, the issue of conforming Minnesota's tax code with the new federal tax law has been a top priority. We're now one month from the end of the legislative session, and so far only the governor has proposed a plan to deal with it. I keep saying, where's their tax bill? You know, if they just put their tax bill, then we can compare theirs to mine and see who's, whose priorities are reflected in what. Last month, Governor Dayton proposed a tax bill he said would cut taxes for over 2 million Minnesotans and their families. But it calls for repealing some tax cuts on businesses and tobacco products passed last year. He also proposes not letting a 2% health care provider tax from expiring next year. Why hold tax conformity hostage for a tax increase? Republicans say a Department of Revenue tax incidence analysis shows Dayton's proposal would be an overall tax increase well over a billion dollars. We all knew that the Democrat Party was being taken over by the resistance. We just didn't know it was being taken over by a resistance to mathematics and facts. Republican State Representative Pat Garofalo says the House and Senate should have tax proposals out next week. Governor Dayton says the clock is ticking and Republican lawmakers need to reach agreement soon on a unified bill. If they can't even negotiate competently among themselves, uh, that doesn't bode well that we're going to have enough time to thrash out our differences and get something uh, before me that I could sign. If the legislature and governor don't reach agreement, many Minnesotans will see tax increases and complicated tax returns next year. And again, not much time left to reach a deal. All bills must be passed by May 20th. The field of candidates for Minnesota governor reduced by one. Republican candidate Keith Downey announced Wednesday he is withdrawing from the race. Downey was the former chair of the state Republican Party. He reported raising just over $50,000 in the first quarter. Meanwhile, Republican Tim Pawlenty is already the biggest fundraiser among the remaining major candidates for governor, at least in the first quarter. Pawlenty raised just over $1 million in the past month. Jeff Johnson says he took in about $110,000 in the first quarter from January to March 31st. Mary Giuliani Stevens raised about $51,000. On the Democratic side, Tim Walls leads the pack with nearly $532,000 raised in the first quarter. Rebecca Otto took in more than 170000 and Aaron Murphy brought in about $121,000. Although Polenny raised the most money this quarter, Democrat Tim Walls leads the overall money race with $1.6 raised, dating back to last year. The race in the 8th Congressional District is headed for a primary on the Democratic side. No candidate received the required 60% of delegate votes to win the Democratic endorsement last weekend. But the leading vote-getter, Leah Pfeiffer, announced she will not move forward to the August 14th primary. But these four candidates all said they will go to the primary. Joe Radinovich, Jason Metza, Kirsten Kennedy, and Michelle Lee. The winner will go on to face Republican Pete Stauber for the 8th district seat in November. That is the seat being vacated by Democrat Rick Nolan, who is retiring at the end of this term. 
In a historic move, Governor Mark Dayton named a sitting state lawmaker to the Minnesota Supreme Court. DFL State Representative Paul Thiessen was appointed to the court on Tuesday. Thiessen resigned his House seat on Friday. He was first elected to the House in 2002 and later served two years as Speaker. Thiessen says he wants to focus on the law, not politics. The job of the Supreme Court is very different than being a legislator. And, uh, and so my intent, again, as I said, is to kind of leave the policymaking and the politics behind and move on to principled judging and, um, and focusing on what the law is. Thiessen gave a farewell speech during his final House session on Thursday. Governor Dayton will not call a special election to fill Thiessen's seat since he will be replaced in the regular election in November. The Minnesota Supreme Court is upholding a law that limits the power Rebecca Otto currently holds as state auditor. The legislature passed a law in 2015 allowing counties to hire private CPA firms to conduct financial audits. Otto argued the law was an unconstitutional breach of her duties and downgraded state oversight of county finances. But the court disagreed. Although she lost the legal fight, Otto said the court made it clear the state auditor still has authority over county finances, including the ability to conduct additional examinations following a private CPA firm audit. Some Minnesota lawmakers want to use a growing reserve fund for U.S. Bank Stadium to build three new veterans' homes in the state. That's because charitable gambling revenues used to pay for the state's portion of the stadium financing are running ahead of projections. But the plan is running into opposition from Governor Dayton and the Minnesota Vikings. The home of the Minnesota Vikings cost $1.1 billion. The state's $348 million share of that is largely being financed by charitable gambling revenue from things like paper and electronic pull tabs. Those revenues have grown so steadily, there's now a $58 million excess reserve in the stadium fund, projected to grow to $120 million by 2021. Several GOP lawmakers and veterans groups say some of that money could be used to build three new veterans' homes around the state. The young veterans are watching us. They're watching how we are treating our veterans today. We're taking the excess revenue that's part of the stadium reserve and dedicating it towards our veteran homes. They want to build veterans' homes in Bemidji, Preston, and Montevideo to add to the five others around the state. Statistics also bear out that Southeast Minnesota is greatly underserved for veterans and veterans' homes. The Vikings say it's too early to tinker with stadium financing. Vikings Vice President Lester Bagley told me, quote, veterans' homes are important, but this is reopening the stadium financing deal, and that concerns us. Governor Dayton also expressed concern, saying the plan to take $26 million of the reserve fund now only pays the state share of building the three homes. It's about $10 million a year to operate one of these, so we're talking about $30 million a year expenditure for operations, then, then they need to come up with the money. Uh, otherwise, it's just a, just a political gimmick. The bill is likely to be included in a larger state government finance omnibus bill, but without support from the governor, it seems unlikely any of those stadium funds will be diverted until there is more debate on the issue. 
Minnesota students spent part of their Friday marching against gun violence. Students gathered at the state capitol and elsewhere calling for stricter gun control laws. It coincided with the 19th anniversary of the mass shooting at Columbine High School in Littleton, Colorado. It's also part of a larger movement that started after the mass shooting in South Florida in February. The Carver County Attorney's Office says it does not have enough evidence to file charges in connection with the death of Prince. Saturday marked two years since the singer was found dead inside his Paisley Park estate. Investigators say it's likely Prince thought he was taking Vicodin, but it turns out he was taking counterfeit Vicodin laced with fentanyl. The Carver County attorney says investigators could not determine who gave Prince those pills. Certainly does not mean that some person or persons associated with Prince did not assist or enable Prince in obtaining the counterfeit Vicodin. Prince's doctor, Michael Schulenberg, agreed to pay a $30,000 fine for writing a prescription in the name of Prince's assistant, knowing it would ultimately be given to Prince. Minnesota-based Sun Country Airlines is taking more steps to try to make things right with hundreds of customers left stranded in Mexico after last weekend's blizzard. Sun Country CEO Jude Bricker says the company is reaching out to all affected passengers. He says they're committed to not only fully refunding tickets on Sun Country, but additional reasonable transportation costs. However, Minnesota Senators Tina Smith and Amy Klobuchar are still pushing for answers as to why the airline left travelers stranded in Mexico with no Sun Country plane to bring them home. Who would think that? You fly to a country with an established airline, a small one, but an established airline, and then you find out they're stopping all flights after that. Both senators are looking into legislative fixes to try and prevent something like this from happening again. Up next, we'll be joined by Republican candidate for governor Jeff Johnson, why he's making another push to win the office and the issues he says he'll be focused on in this campaign. We continue our conversations this week with candidates running for governor of Minnesota. Republican Jeff Johnson was the GOP nominee for governor back in 2014, but he lost to incumbent Governor Dayton. Now, Johnson, a Hennepin County commissioner, is making a second run for the office. And Jeff Johnson joining us in studio today. Thanks for being here, Commissioner. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Uh, you ran for governor, as we just mentioned, in 2014 mm. against an incum incumbent governor. You lost by about five points, about 110,000 votes. Obviously a much different race now that there is no right. incumbent. Uh, how is this race different, and how is your candidacy likely to be different? Well, you learn a lot once you run statewide, w whether you win or lose. And the biggest difference, obviously, it's, a, it's an open seat, and there's not a, a, a long-time governor in place right there. So we, we see that from the national organizations, almost all of whom are rating this as a toss-up race. That's a big difference. But, you know, the, the, the landscape has changed over the last few years, particularly after 2016. And I think that, uh, you know, whether you love Donald Trump or hate Donald Trump, he, I think he's changed the way at least some people in Minnesota think about politics and what they expect. And I think I have learned as I've been traveling around the state that people are looking for somebody who's pretty out front, who's not poll testing their message, but just saying, here's what I think, here's why I think it. Maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't, but... Um, you know, there's, we're not going to dance around issues anymore. We'll talk more about the potential Trump effect uh, a bit later. But uh, before you get a chance to run in a general election, uh, you have to get the Republican nomination first. I know you're seeking the endorsement of the party, but there's likely to be a primary. 
uh, involving at least former Governor Tim Pawlenty and right. maybe Mary Giuliani Stevens, depending upon how this race shakes out. We know Keith Downey dropped out this week. Uh, what do you have to do to differentiate yourself from the former governor and from Mary Giuliani Stevens? Well, it's, as you mentioned, there are really two steps before we get to the general. One is the endorsement in a couple months, and both Mary and I have said that we'll abide by that endorsement. So if someone else is endorsed, I'm there, she's there, uh, Tim is going to go to a primary regardless. Um, I feel really good about that endorsement, but I've got to keep my head down and make sure I get it. That makes a huge difference in a, a low turnout primary, which Minnesota has because it's in the middle of August. Um, in that primary, distinguishing myself from Tim, I don't think is going to be that difficult. I mean, we are just very different candidates. And, you know, I, I, I talk a lot as I travel around the state about where I see the future going, and, and uh, I'm getting a lot of positive feedback on that. Tim will talk about that as well. But fair or not, this will be a referendum on his past, whether it's the lobbying, whether it's his eight years as governor, whether it is, uh, you know, where he's been at in Trump, kind of up and down. And I think it's going to be really hard to win if this whole campaign is a debate about the past. Now, Tim Pawlenty said the reason he decided to run was because none of the other Republican candidates were, in his words, getting traction in this race. Uh, how do you view that statement? Well, I disagree with it, obviously. I mean, if I didn't feel like I was getting traction, I, I wouldn't be in the race. And I'm hearing him say right now he's not sure if he will go for the endorsement because it, it seems like maybe the cake is already baked, as he said, which would suggest that he thinks somebody is already getting a lot of traction. And I feel like I am. Uh, if you look at the caucus straw polls, if you look at the straw poll just from CD3 last weekend, um, I'm in really good shape with, with the base of the party, every faction of that base. And by the way, I think that's another distinction. We can't win as Republicans in November unless we have a very united, enthused base, whether it's our uh, business Republicans or our social Republicans or, or the new Trump voters or the libertarian wing. I've been able to unite all those factions, and uh, Tim won't be able to do that. Now, if you do get the Republican nomination, obviously in this general election you would not be running against an incumbent. You'd be running, though, against one of uh, potentially a few Democrats who do have long uh, public records that you would be able uh, to go after, just like they would be able to go after your record. How are you going to differentiate your Republican values from their Democrat Party values? Well, you know, the, the, the overriding issue that I've been talking about throughout the, the last year of this campaign has been changing the culture and the attitude that we see in state government, especially in our state agencies. So if you look at the DNR or the MPCA or the Department of Education, and I could go right on down the list, we are seeing not just great examples of incompetence that we're not really dealing with very well, but you're seeing an attitude where many, not all, but many in government seem to believe their job is to tell everyone else how to live their lives as opposed to serving. And my goal, and I think that is easy, very easy to set apart from any of the DFLers in this race, my goal is going to be to change that culture, just fundamentally change the culture in government and our state agencies to that of serving people. And that, I think, is the only way long-term we're going to be able to get a hold of some of the bigger issues we have, like overregulation and overtaxation and lack of health insurance options right on down the list. In that 2014 race, you had promised if you were elected, you would try to repeal those income taxes on the upper-income Minnesotans that Governor Dayton successfully pushed for back in 2012. Would that still be a goal of yours? Absolutely. And, you know, we are in the top, I believe, eight in almost every single tax category in Minnesota. But the 
the one that concerns me the most is the income tax. Our highest rate, I think, is 85% higher than the national average, which is bad because it drives out wealth and investment. My bigger problem, though, is our lowest rate. Our lowest income tax rate in Minnesota is higher than the highest rate in 22 other states. So we're not just taxing to death the CEO in Minnesota. We're taxing to death the school teacher and the mechanic and the bartender. We need to fix that. Now, Governor Dayton will defend those tax increases by saying they're largely responsible for the surpluses we've enjoyed recently. Yeah, well, and I would disagree with that because if you, you can go back in the history of the state and we have periods of surpluses and, and projected deficits and it, it sometimes moves up and down depending upon the, the national winds and how the economy is going. So, you know, him, him claiming that surpluses are simply the fact that they had the biggest tax increase we've ever seen. I, I think some of that is outside the governor's control. But I would add, having surpluses is not a sign of good government to me. Year after year after year, if you have huge surpluses, it means you're taking too much money from taxpayers. Finally, uh, getting back to President Trump, you did endorse him before the 2016 election. You said you had questions about his character, but on policy, you thought he was the best choice. Do you still feel that way? And would you welcome him to Minnesota to campaign on your behalf if you're in the general election? Absolutely. I support the president, and, you know, our styles differ. I'm a Norwegian Lutheran from northern Minnesota, and he is not. But uh, I, I absolutely support the direction he's trying to take the country, and if he's willing to come here to campaign, uh, I will have him, absolutely. Despite what you considered his character flaws before the election, and I don't know how, if that's changed at all since then? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are very different people. And, uh, you know, it, I, I'm not going to pretend that, uh, that he and I are alike. We're not. But I would love to have him here. Absolutely. All right. Jeff Johnson, Republican candidate for governor in Minnesota here in 2018. Best of luck to you, Thank you. on the campaign trail. I'm sure we'll see you again soon. We will be interviewing all of the major candidates for governor, Republicans and Democrats, between now and the middle of May. Up next, Brian McDaniel and Darren Broughton. Join me for political analysis. We'll be back in two minutes. Celebrity chef Andrew Zimmern is backing an effort by Second Harvest Heartland to move to a bigger facility. The food shelf is requesting $18 million from the legislature to transform this warehouse in Brooklyn Park into a new distribution center. Zimmern says with one in ten Minnesotans struggling with hunger, this facility is desperately needed. Time now for political analysis. Joining me, Darren Broughton and Brian McDaniel. Thank you both for being here. Let's start by talking about the governor's race. We just had Jeff Johnson in here talking about his race. We saw the fundraising numbers earlier in the show. Brian, how big of a problem is it for Jeff Johnson that Tim Pawlenty has come in and in less than a month has a million dollars in the first quarter compared to Jeff Johnson's 100000 Well, I think it's going to be a tale of, of, of you know, the prim primary versus the endorsement. I think Jeff is still sitting very, very pretty for the for the endorsement the money that plenty raised a million dollars in a couple of weeks even I, I was surprised that it was that much and that will be something that will have much more uh, effect in a potential primary than it will for the endorsement but if Jeff Johnson's able to win the endorsement that could perhaps result in some more fundraising ability for him it could be a little bit more fundraising ability. I mean, the piece we don't really know is what August looks like because we get to the August primary. It is a weird year so far, and no one ever gets high turnout ever in, all, in uh, August primaries. So even though plenty has the money, it, it could be anyone's game. Yeah, because it's, it's hard to get people in the middle of August when people are heading to their cabins for one last hurrah before, as we know, our winters last quite a while here uh, these days. So it's going to be fascinating to see uh, what happens there. Uh, let's talk about Paul Thiessen. Mm -hmm. uh, remarkable, going straight from the legislature, just a few years removed from being House Speaker, 
to the Supreme Court. Unprecedented. Uh, unprecedented. And, 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 you know, former Speaker Teeson, somebody who I've worked with and Darren's worked with, good guy, very qualified for this position. Um, but it does continue the politi politicization of the judiciary, which I think that both parties have contributed to, uh, but is something that, that is probably a, a trend that should be stunted. Because there are going to be cases that come before the Supreme Court. Let's take the Rebecca Otto case that was yep. decided this week on, on audits. That was a law passed by Republicans in the legislature that, uh, I forget how Thiessen voted on it, but he may have been opposed to it. How does he, how does he decide on a case like that? That's just as an example. Well, it's hard for any Supreme Court justice because, as Brian said, there is a tendency to have, have most of these folks have political lineage. They either served in the led, came from the legislature, were political staffers, donors, whatever have you. It is extremely hard. I think Paul Thiessen will do a phenomenal job because I think he's a very principled and thoughtful person uh, and probably better suited for the Supreme Court than in the legislature. All right, he said he is going to try to set politics aside now that he is on the Supreme Court. Just 30 seconds left, the tax bill. Uh, we still don't have one from the House and Senate Republicans, but we do have one from the governor. How important is it for Republicans to show their cards? Well, they're going to show their cards next week. I mean, today is the last day to get omnibus bills out of committee. There's a reason that there's no tax deadline. It's because you do the tax bill after you do the committee bills, which will happen next week. So it's not late. It's on time. The governor's bill raises taxes on everybody. The Republican bill will not. Final word. Well, I don't think the governor's bill raises taxes on everyone. I think it goes back on making sure that the tobacco tax that the Republicans decided to take away last year is put back on uh, in effect. All right. Well, we'll find out hopefully this week whether or not the Republicans get their tax bill on the table. Thank you both for being here. Up next, celebrating the men's hockey national championship winners and a Minnesota State high school hockey champion at the state capitol. This week, the University of Minnesota Duluth men's hockey team was honored at the Capitol for winning the NCAA Frozen Four National Championship. Governor Dayton met with head coach Scott Sandlin and issued a proclamation congratulating the team on their title. Dayton says he's been a good luck charm for the Bulldogs. UMD Bulldogs won their first national championship my first year as governor, and now they've won their second my last year as governor. Both had to be at Excel Arena. Exciting again to be here. Uh, did this seven years ago. It doesn't get old, I can tell you that. <laughs> I'm sure of that. Sandlin says the Bulldogs have a young team right now, and he hopes to be title contenders again next year. And another championship team, the Minnetonka boys hockey team, visited the state capitol this week. Here they are in the Senate chambers. Minnetonka won its first state title back in March. And one of the players, Luke Lohite, will be going on to play for UMD next season. Well, we'd like to see what you have to say about Ad Issue. Just write to Issue at kstp.com. And you can listen to episodes of Ad Issue every week on iTunes and Podcast One. We have links posted at kstp.com. That's all the time we have for now. See you again next week.